But what I want to bring to you this morning, what the Lord's brought to my heart, is about getting your fight back. Getting your fight back. We, we often, you know, it wouldn't matter whether it's church or your gym membership or your job or whatever. Complacency and just settling in, it just happens because our nature is, is to try to find something comfortable, get there, and just let life happen, isn't it? Not everybody. I mean, obviously, a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or those who we see who are, what we say, if I can use the word uber successful, you know, in their line, they obviously had more drive than to just sit in a spot. Uh, my brother-in-law, who works uh, uh, in IT at Walmart, who has moved up the ladder in his 17, 20 years that he's been there, um, one of the things I heard him say is, along the way, he always looked for the things that nobody was doing but were valuable, and he did those things. He said, those things that people just let kind of ride, but they're valuable, he picked those, and he did those. And that was what he attributed his success to, uh, apart from the Lord promoting him. How many, anybody here from that's originally from Texas, or you've lived in Texas? Anyone? I'm going to get one of you to just heckle me. At least we get some interaction here. You know, even if it's negative, we're going to get something going here, all right? But uh, Texas is bigger. Well, this Texas farmer, he uh, went to Australia to visit, had never been there before, and he uh, runs into this Aussie farmer, you know? And so the Aussie decides to take him out and show him his wheat fields, shows him, and the Texas farmer goes, oh, yeah, we grow wheat much bigger than that in Texas. Ours is much taller, bigger. And uh, so they go along a little bit, and, Pretty soon he takes him over to his, his longhorn cattle, and he goes, oh, we're known for a longhorn cattle. They're much bigger horns, bigger cattle. Aussie's thinking, man, this is, he's starting to get a little discouraged. And finally, they came up to an area he had fenced off, and there's a bunch of kangaroos, and the, the Texas farmer kind of looked puzzled a little bit and goes, what are those? And Aussie farmer thought a little bit, and he goes, you mean you guys don't have grasshoppers in Texas? <laughs> We laugh about that. In so many areas of our life, we have fight in us, don't, us, don't we? Parents, someone picks on your kid. Any fight in you? Someone does something unjust to your child. You got any fight in you in that? What about at work when you think someone's about to take that promotion that you should have had or that you want to have, and they're, they're about to snatch it from you? You get that competitive, that, that fight in you. And yet in Scripture, we see so many references to, to the race, to, to almost a competitive nature of God saying this is a fight, this is a... He's trying to tell us this isn't just something that we're, we're sitting idly by, but this is a fight, living this faith. There are so many who don't, who don't get that because they don't have a vibrant uh, living relationship with, with Jesus and they have no idea what we're talking about because there's, the only thing they can think about is fighting for survival. We're talking about giving everything away. We're singing, give myself, give myself away. How do you win giving things away, right? Give everything away, you lose. Isn't that how the world sees it? But we're giving everything away. But man, some of the most dynamic, incredible, most awesome people I know are people who are giving everything away. That they're trusting God for anything. And he gives them more. He gives stuff away and they give them more. And God gives them more. We, we often forget that this is, this is a fight. If right now, if I took you out of this context and we, we put ourselves in the context that, that Centerton has been overrun by some enemy force, Okay? Now, that would have been more of a fairy tale in the past, but now we kind of wonder if that's going to happen. But we're taken over by any force. Everybody has fled. Either they've surrendered or whatever, and you are the few. You ran to the church, and here we are this morning, right now. 
and you've let me continue to be the leader here. So we're now I'm charged with trying to get you fired up for the battle. If we walked into that situation and our reactions, when I said good morning this morning, let's just take that reaction. If that was our reaction to the fight we got out there, how confident are you that we're going to go out there and conquer, facing hundreds or thousands? God wants us to have a fight in us. And sometimes we lose that fight because of discouragement. It's one thing with Jennifer and I getting back at the gym and trying to exercise. It's like I, I'm, I'm always analyzing things. What are, my, what are my obstacles? What are my enemy here? And it's really myself, but what are the things that are attacking myself? It's, it's the things I worry about is discouragement, number one, because that will slow me down or halt me or make me give up, and injury. I've got to be smart about what I'm doing. I've got to pay attention. I've got to use the knowledge that I've gained and, and through years of exercise to know what not to do to injure myself because that will end my challenge. That will end my, my fight to gain my health back. First Kings, if you want to turn with me in the Old Testament, First Kings. It's right before Second Kings. Page, did you get that? All right, First Kings 19, chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. Now, this is going to be a little different for us because I usually read from the English Standard Version because we provide... The Bible's here, the paperbacks, you'll see from place to place. Uh, in English Standard Version, it's, it's as close as you can get to the King James and still take out some of the these and thous. But today I'm going to read from the message. And uh, as some I've heard say, it's a pretty flowery way of putting Scripture. But there's a reason. I'm reading eight, uh, 18 verses here, and I want you to get the gist of the story without losing track because of the different type of uh, a way we don't speak the way they do in the King James. Um, Starting in verse 1, Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her, her threat. She says this, gods, The gods will get you for this, and I'll, even get, I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for, the, for his dear life to Beersheba, far from the south of Judah, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in his shade. Wanting in the worst way to be done with it all and to just die, he says, enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in their grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again, and said, Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate, and drank his fill and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked for 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the, the God of the angel army, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. 
Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain at the attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. The quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Elijah said again, I've been working my heart out for God, the God of angel armies. Because of the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your place of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. God said, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jeru, son of Nimshi, make him king over Israel. Finally anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Manoah, to succeed you as prophet. Anyone who escapes death by Hazael will be killed by Jehu. And anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the god Baal, the mouths that haven't kissed his image. So you know, this is Elijah after the challenge, the prophets of Baal, they're, they're killed. They, you know, god burns up the sacrifice on the altar. If you know the story, it's the, the sacrifice has been soaked by water, and obviously Baal, who is a non-existent god who they believe, doesn't show up, yet the one true god does. And so now Elijah, he's, he's run for his life because... Uh, there is um, retribution coming. See, we're in a spiritual battle. In Hebrews 12.3, the writer expressed his concern about early Christians. It says, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. And the word translated faint means to unloose as of a bowstring. In the old-fashioned bows, the bowstring, if you left it on the bow, it would maintain that shape and it would actually weaken the bow. It would lose its strength and eventually break. The archer would take the bowstring off and, and loosen that so that it would retain that shape and it would be just as strong the next time. And so the, it's talking about this tension. It means that this uh, not translated faint means to unloose. He's worried that they'll, they'll break under the strain. He's worried about people giving up their spiritual fight. Paul never lost his fight. The, it says the disposition to continue in the struggle. Paul wrote... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life in 1 Timothy 6.12. What kind of spiritual fight have you been putting up with this year? Have you become weak or passive? Discouraged, wounded, perplexed? Well, we're going to look at a great believer, Elijah, who became discouraged and see how God restored his fight. I mean, you've got to think about Elijah and what he accomplished. We're talking about a guy who prayed and stopped rain for three and a half years. Try that on for size. How would you like to have that kind of relationship with God? Is people aren't listening in Centerton. I'll show them. It's going to rain cats and dogs everywhere but Centerton. It's going to come right up to exactly city limits, and it's going to not rain anywhere else. And the people are going to be crying out, why can't we get any rain? We need rain here. He was supernaturally provided for during famine. He called down fire from heaven on the sacrifice killed the 450 prophets of Baal, and then he prayed the rain down again. 
wouldn't you think that this guy who had accomplished all that would be untouchable? Do we think our world is so much different now that if we were able to pray down fire from heaven right now, do you think tomorrow on the news media everybody would say, okay, the whole world has repented. We now understand all the stuff we've been giving Christians a hard time about. We're wrong. Churches are going to be full tomorrow. I'll just let you know you might show up early. Honestly, if we call down fire, if we were able to do that, I mean, I believe if God, if it served His purpose and put it on our hearts and we prayed, I believe it would happen. But if we did, do we think the world's just going to turn? They didn't in Elijah's time. I mean, there's always a some that did when Jesus performed miracles said they added to the numbers daily. That's why when I hear pastors say, oh, you just keep talking numbers. Well, yeah, that's what it's about. There's so many people on this planet. So many of them are going to hell. That's how many we need to share the gospel with, see their life turn around so that we can all spend eternity together and party. <laughs> okay? I mean, just to make it simple. I get it that in the world, you know, there's this whole thing about whether that's really true or not. I don't see God. I don't see. I'm just saying, in the end, truth be known, when it's there, decisions are made. What's our goal? Well, my goal, Pastor CJ, is make it to heaven. Well, that's great for you. Are you concerned about anybody else? See, that's where the fight comes in. It's one thing to even fight for yourself, but the way we're designed, it's like how many, how many believe that our fighting force, our U.S. fighting force, would fight as hard if it was just self-serving. If they're only protecting their family. I would fight for my family, but I guarantee you I'll fight a lot harder when I know it's not just my family, but everyone's family. We're designed that way. God's put in it. There's something in us that wants to fight for a bigger cause. And what's that bigger cause? The bigger cause is the kingdom of God. But like I said, with everything that's real, there's always a cheap imitation that the devil puts there. I'm patriotic. I believe in fighting for our freedom in our country. I believe in that. I served in the uh, Navy myself. But, but at the same time, I know that now that I, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that this is not my kingdom here. This is not, you know, no matter who's in the Oval Office, I may have to, because my king says to give them the respect due, I may need to give respect. doesn't mean I have to blindly follow or, or just like, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, it doesn't mean that we always do what they say. Respect doesn't mean that. But where's our fight? I mean, come on, are we really the army of God? Are we the sleeping saints? When we come to this passage, here's Elijah who did all this, and Elijah's running and saying, just kill me, God, and let me be buried right next to Grandma and Grandpa. That's so what he says with my ancestors. Just put me in the grave. I'm done. I mean, nobody's listening. Everybody's against me. I'm on the run. So even Elijah, who was able to stop rain for three and a half years. So don't get discouraged that you get discouraged. Know that Elijah himself got discouraged. Elijah had been under strain for three years. He'd been running as a fugitive, living on uh, the meagerest of food, clothing, and shelter. That's enough to wear anybody down. You just start worrying about where you're going to eat your next meal. Where are you going to get some sleep? Where are you going to have some shelter? And it will wear you down. And even apart from being chased by an enemy. Elijah had hoped for revival, just like we have in the churches. Some of us will, will go and we'll look for places where we see God moving. We want to go there because we want to see God uh, revive the church. And he probably believed that if the nation saw the great miracle from God, like the fire falling from heaven, they would just give up idolatry, turn to God, and experience revival. But as I've stated, I don't believe that. I believe the news media the next day would be saying, 
Well, there was an unforeseen meteor shower that uh, caused great destruction, and the scientists missed it somehow, and they believe that it happened because maybe the telescopes weren't aimed right. Or, you know, I mean, there's a half a dozen ways or millions of ways that they would explain it away. But I don't believe even fire falling from heaven under the power of God would even wake them up. I believe that the, the groanings of the earth, the great earthquakes and the frequency of what we're seeing natural disasters, I believe that is God that is trying to get people's attention to have them turn. And does it seem that they're turning by great numbers? Well, I will tell you that, I mean, our church is part of the Assemblies of God, and this isn't about bragging about denomination because there's others that are growing, but it is one of the fastest growing denominations right now. And people, the God is pouring out His Spirit across the world, and people are being saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and going out and making disciples. So, yes, the church is still alive. But when you watch the news media, you realize that what's really getting the attention of everybody else is all the degradation. Do you know there's people who have been brought back to life within, like literally, within the last two years in other countries where there are reputable witnesses who have seen it? And did anybody get any news coverage of that? Bible says in the end times people will just be eating, drinking, and marrying. Nobody will be paying attention to that. God could actually move right in front of their face and do something miraculous. And, and they're so blinded to it because of the fact they've just turned everything over. They've just given up on God. They've lost their fight. Right before their eyes. God could heal their child and save them from dying because of the prayers of the church, even though they're not attending, and they still won't attribute it to God. Elijah probably believed that that revival's come, I'm sure he's disappointed, thinking that with that great showing of God, why is he on the run? I mean, he conquered against the prophets of Baal. Elijah expected the opposition to stop, but Jezebel immediately sent Elijah death threats and vows that instead of Baal worship being defeated, she was going to push back the popularity of Baal worship. Just like what's going on now. We've got leadership who, when God moves, their reaction to that is let's push more idolatry. Let's push more things that are against God's word. Let's abolish Christianity getting outside of the four walls of the church and even start to dictate what they do within the four walls. Sometimes I want to even grab those who don't believe in God and say, can you not see what they're trying to do with the church? Like, come on, you don't see? You can't see a spiritual battle? You can't see? You think this is just happening for no reason or... Oh, people are just finally fed up with Christianity? Listen, we're talking about thousands of years here. And we're talking about the book of Revelation and other books that talk about the very things that are happening are already in the book, been foretold. Some very specific. Rebuilding of the temple, the priest being prepared in the old way of worship, right? Dave and Lisa, I know you guys pay attention a lot to that. It's happening now. Where's the news coverage of that? unless you go on some Christian media channel to see it. But this hasn't just happened recently. Do you remember when they started the whole thing of training the priests like the Bible says they would do? It's been a while. Go on YouTube. You can find it there. It leaks out, but the world's not paying attention. I'm, I'm getting away from this is not what everybody got in the first service on that first thing. So let me get back here. But see, Elijah felt alone. He felt like the only person still left serving the Lord. And have you ever felt that way, like you're the only one serving the Lord? Even those who say they're Christians around you in the workplace, oh yeah, I go to this church, oh yeah, I go to that church, but what's going on in the daily, daily grind everything? Do you hear anything about the Lord? Do you hear any whispers of what God's doing in the workplace? Do you see any power in their lives? 
Do you feel alone? See, Elijah, you've you got to understand. You, you could understand. You and Elijah could sit down. If he was here, you could sit down and talk and kind of compare notes. He felt alone in, in a big way. It says the Israelites have put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What was the result of this? He ran for his life, driven by fear until he was exhausted. He ran until he collapsed under, under the broom tree. He wanted to give up and quit the fight. And you may feel like you want to give up the fight. Stress and pressures can rob you of your willpower to fight. And you may be the only Christian in your family or in your workplace or in other environments, but your efforts to win others or change the environment may seem fruitless. Or your prayers may seem to go unanswered for a long time, causing you to lose faith and feel like giving up the fight. What did Elijah do when he felt like this? He found the importance of rebounding. I'm not a big sports fan, but I do know enough and see enough. It's like basketball. You know, every, every player is trained to shoot for the goal, right? But what are they also equally trained to do? Rebound, right? Because it's kind of given that once in a while we're going to miss. And we've got to have a plan for that. And we know that the only sinless person to walk this earth that was in a flesh and blood was Jesus. But none of us are sinless. And so we know we may miss it. We may lose that fight, but we've got to have that rebound ready. It's one of the most important skills of, of basketball. There's no need for a rebound unless the shot was attempted. There has to be first an attempt. But somehow something went wrong in the attempt that caused the shot to be missed, and therefore we have the need to rebound. Same things cause misses on the basketball court that cause misses in life. Here are some reasons that the shots are missed. Let's just look at those real quick. Perspective. One reason is just the perspective. They're, they're, they're looking at the wrong part of the goal. They, they got their eyes off the goal for a minute. But whatever, they, they went to shoot for the goal and they got distracted for whatever reason. Shot too long, too short, too hard, too soft. But somewhere, the perspective was off the goal. Opposition. The other team, the enemy, they is trained to get up in their face. And when you're trying to shoot and they're up there doing this, you seen that on basketball? They're trying to block their view, distract them, get their eyes off the goal. That's what the enemy does in our life. He's, he, that's the whole thing. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to distract. He's waving his hands in front of your face. Every time God's trying to point you in a direction and, and show your eyes, sometimes God's trying to turn your eyes from something you shouldn't see. And the enemy's over there like, don't look at God. Keep looking at what I got in front of you. Mistreatment, those fouls, when someone is, is mishandled on the court, you know, uh, that sometimes is a cause for us to miss a shot. But rebounding is the right thing to do. Any coach would want their player to go for a rebound on their missed shot. What would it look like if a player goes up, he misses a shot, and right in the middle of the game, time's not up, he just turns around and walks off the court. Walks into the dressing room, or in the locker room, and everybody's waiting in the game like, where did he go? Michael Jordan, think about that. Now that brings it up a scale. Michael Jordan shoots, and everybody's expecting that awesome three-pointer, you know, whoop, misses, and he just goes, I'm done. And he walks off. Nationally televised, live game. That's not the way they're trained. That's not good sportsmanship. That's not, how, that's not the fight that they should have. And as believers, it's not the way we should do it either, that we shoot and miss and we just walk off. And sometimes we're bad teammates because our teammate shot and missed, and we walk off the court because of that. It happens in church all the time. 
I, I didn't like Ken's attitude to Sunday. I didn't tell you what. We got churches at every corner in Northwest Arkansas. I'll see you. That's how easy we give up sometimes. Yeah. He's known me too long. He'd just say bye. Bye. A good player will go back up for the ball, retrieve it, and shoot again. In the Bible, there's lots of people who miss shots. We're not alone in this. Many of God's best servants missed their target and had to deal with the consequences of losing their shot. In fact, the Bible tells us of many people whom God used who were on the rebound. King David. I mean, he messed up in a lot of ways that we see in the world today as the women, and God still said, man after my heart, he went back for the rebound. And Elijah's one of them too. So how did God help Elijah get his fight back? Well, here are some principles to rebound and get your fight back. And this first one might shock you. Rest. Rest. You know, I've been talking about how my little electronic devices sometimes at night, me and my wife are sitting there and we're talking, but we're not really talking because we're, we're like talking to everybody else and talking to each other. But And we think that that's our time relaxing. Kids are in bed. That's not rest. My mind's so active. I'm seeing what all y'all are posting. And I'm, oh, that's a great little picture of that dog doing something crazy. I hadn't ever seen that before. We, we gotta, we've got a skewed idea of rest in our culture. We really need to, and here, here's the thing. Some of you might be thinking, how is this spiritual? Why, you just went from this, now, now all of a sudden like some self-help topic? No. Look what happened with Elijah. God let him sleep in the story twice. He's like, he needs rest. It's important. And let me tell you something. When you don't rest well, there's statistics uh, from Dr. Timothy Rowers um, uh, in the Journal of Sleep, says 68% of patients with depression have reported sleep deprivation. You can throw yourself into depression by your bad habits of not getting rest. Put your stuff away. Make the discipline. There's a certain time. We, we're still working on this. I mean, I'm not trying to be up here like we've got all. Jen and I have been talking. We, you know, um, of course, it's like I slip back into it. And then she's like, well, if you're on your phone, you know I am. And then I come over one night, and I want to sit by the couch, and she's on it. I take hers and just toss it <laughs> and smile. <laughs> it's real easy to make the rules and then uphold them when they fit you, right? You know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it is important, folks. There are certain aspects of our spiritual walk that we don't realize the implications of simply not giving ourselves time to rest. Because the enemy gets a foothold because our minds are tired. And it's hard for us to hear God when we're so worn out. And sometimes we need to be bold in our jobs and not put the money before family and everything else and say, enough is enough. I've been here long enough. I'm tired. My family is tired. If you've really been putting everything, you've been working as unto the Lord, and you, you know, you know, between you and the Holy Spirit, you know you've done good by them, and they're still pushing more. Sometimes you need to take a bold step, you know, and trust God that he's going to protect your job to say, you know, boss, I need to go home. Because this is not healthy for me. A preacher was preaching on a Sunday morning and was aggravated because, because there was uh, someone sleeping on the front row. This guy was so bold about it, he just had his head cocked back. I've seen that. Now, don't, don't get offended if you've ever done this. I've seen when someone's fought it long enough and they just kind of turn sideways, find their comfortable spot, and it's over. 
Now, I've only been pastor here three and a half years, but eventually I get bold enough where I come up and do that to you. <laughs> I'm not afraid you'll leave and be mad at me. But, but this guy's sleeping, you know, and the preacher tried getting louder. Um, I've seen the whole, you know, eventually we're going to get a pulpit instead of a music stand here. But, you know, once I get a pulpit that makes a good noise, it's, you know, that doesn't do much. But if that was good oak with a little hollow spot under it, you can get a good boom going. But, you know, he eventually does that, and finally he gets aggravated. He tells the guy next to him, he says, Sir, would you mind waking him up? And the guy says, No, I won't. You put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> Sometimes we wear ourselves out, and even when we get to the God's house, where this should be a time where we are revived and we are refreshed. And like I said in the first service, I can tell you this isn't a judgment calling you. This isn't to discourage you, to put you down. This should encourage you and should, just like a coach saying, come on, guys, you're, you're sloughing here. But if you come in and you're like this in the service, you come in or, hi, how are you doing, Pastor? Oh, everything's terrible. If you're doing that, now there's times we come together. And we, but if that's consistent, then I'll tell you, you need to get your fight back because you're either depriving yourself of so much sleep you're not listening to the word when it says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry yourself. You're getting some things out of whack to where the enemy's got a foothold and he's got you depressed because the true believer, knowing where he's heading with eternity, having that secure in his mind, moving forward with some drive and ambition to win the lost, is excited when they come in and know this is a safe haven. I've been around the hard fight all week and I get to come in next to my brother and sister in Christ and if I talk about the Lord, people are going to encourage me, not put me down. I don't have to worry about losing my job in here. You see, this is a place we should come and be refreshed and built up. That's what the scripture says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Saw another article about one pastor got bold and he just told people you're disobeying God if you are regularly missing church. And he gave every biblical reason. He was right on. And I almost shared it. I thought, nah, whoever missed last Sunday will be calling me and want to set up a meeting and I wouldn't even be thinking of them. That happens. I put something on Facebook like, he must be talking about me. Pastor, can I talk to you? about the problem we have between us. <laughs> Next thing that was important to that rebound was the heavenly bread. I mean, the angel of the Lord woke him up. Here's some bread, here's some water. This stuff lasting for 40 days. It must have been some good nutrients, right? You know, I'm studying a lot again, remind myself what it takes to get your body healthy. And man, I tell you, you got to eat a lot and regularly to really be healthy and so that's some work, and this stuff took him 40 days. Of course, he slept when he got to where he's going, but it was still good stuff, and this is important. You see, nutrition, we're, we're, this isn't Pastor CJ because now I'm, I'm trying to get on a health kick. That I'm, that's not all I'm going to talk about. I'm telling you that I'm realizing that now that I'm kind of getting my legs back under me and getting some discipline in my life and some other areas, God's starting to show me, and, and my spiritual life's changing. He's saying, this is as much a part about what I want you to do as anything because when you're medicating yourself with food your depression with food and your body's reflecting it and you're tired and you're lethargic and you're not getting sleep and you're doing things all that is the enemy just trying to make your body your physical body so weary that your spirit has no fight in it jesus said very uh, very truly i tell you it is not moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven john six thirty two. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. And this was more than natural bread, for it, it gave Elijah the strength to travel for that 40 days. So we're just not just talking about physical food, we're talking about the bread of life, God's word. 
spending day after day devouring that. Let it uh, give you nutrients. Also, go back to your original experience with God. I want everybody to do something for just a moment. We're, we're near closing, and I want you to just stay with me here. Close your eyes for a minute, and I want you, if you are a believer, if you've given your heart to Jesus, I want you to think back to that moment when you made that decision. Whether you're a child, it was last year, it was last week, whenever it was, think back to that moment when you made a decision to follow Christ. And I want you to think back to what was going on before that in your life and what, what it was that you were fighting against to get away from. Anybody I know who has really had a life change because of the decision to follow Christ, there was something in their life that they finally came to terms that I can't do this anymore. And then I wanted you to think about what happened next. How'd your life change? What, what was that fight like? You went from a fight, from fighting with the sin and the things that were entangling you to a fight now to live as God would want you to live. You can open your eyes. And if someone didn't open them next to you, nudge them. We need to, Elijah went back to the mountain of God. This is where Moses experienced the burning bush, a rock smitten and water poured out where the Ten Commandments were given. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Let me ask you something. What's the first thing you do when you're depressed or you've got a problem? What's, what's the first thing you do? Do you go to the fridge? Do you go to the medicine cabinet? The liquor cabinet? The whatever? The relationships? Facebook? What are you medicating your problems with? Because let me tell you something. One of the first things that can really jumpstart the fire, get the fire back, the fight back in you, is train yourself that the first time you feel that depression, you feel something going wrong, the first place you go to is in prayer and to the Word. Do it. You know, they say if you do anything 30 days, you know it becomes a habit. But let me tell you something. This isn't about repetition. I want you to see what happens in your spirit, what happens in your life when you do that. It's not just a matter of, well, I quit going to the fridge, so I've trained myself not to do that. No, God starts to use that and begins to, to speak to your heart. You can call on others to pray. You can call for a prayer chain. That happens, and I'm glad to pray with you. I'm glad when you reach out. I'm even more glad when you reach out to other people in the church to pray with you, even more so than me. Not because I don't want to, but that means you're connecting. And so that's good. But let me ask you something. When you ask someone to pray about something for you, have you prayed first? Have you prayed first? Because another thing we like to do is try to live. I even heard somebody recently say this. Well, I depend on my spouse for my spiritual walk because they're so fired up and I just, if they get discouraged. Then, then, but are we going first to the Lord? Are we putting everything in Him? And then, if we need a brother or sister in Christ to stand next to us and pray or to, to, to be with us to agree, in agreement like the Word says, but, but we shouldn't rely on others to try to live our our relationship with God for us. We go back to the original place of revelation of, that Jesus gave us in our life. We stop for a minute and we reflect on where we came from and where that fight came from. We go back to the book of Acts and go back to the fundamentals of prayer and Bible reading and worship and, and church attendance. And, and then through that, just like with Elijah, we get a new vision from God. It said, and behold, the Lord passed by. Elijah drew near to the presence of God, and God manifests himself when we seek him. It says in Jeremiah 20, 13, You shall seek me 
and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He heard God's voice, and it wasn't in the way that a lot of us would have assumed. I mean, when you talk about something coming and busting rocks apart, you think, okay, now, now that's how he heard God. Well, then the big winds and the storm came. Nope. And then fire came. No. But when he got quiet, and still he heard a still small voice, and that was God. God's not in the Christian show, the razzle-dazzle, the hype, the popular, the highly trodden paths. You won't find him in the big crowds, but in the solitary places, alone and secluded. He wants to be one-on-one with you. He isn't just going, he may be in the mega churches, but he's not there to try to catch everybody at once to catch him a break. If he's there, he's dealing with one-on-one because that's the way he works. Others who heard that voice, Adam heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. Samuel heard the voice calling in the tabernacle. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord when he saw a vision of heaven. His lips had been cleansed. Jesus heard, Jesus' disciples heard that, the, that voice on the Mount of Transfiguration, a voice out of the cloud that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we all need to hear from God. That's a part of that fight. It's a part of keeping that fight. When you don't hear God, then all of a sudden you don't find purpose anymore for serving him because you feel like the relationship's cut off. But it's not that he quits speaking. It's sometimes we're either talking too much and not listening or we just stop listening altogether. In the days of widespread, uh, before widespread refrigeration and the technology we have now, they used to have these big blocks of ice that were kept in coolers where they used hay bales for insulation. So there's hay everywhere. And the workers one day, one of them lost a, a nice pocket watch that had been handed down, a gold one. Everybody in the room started frantically looking for it in the hay. And they couldn't find it. They finally gave up, went to lunch. They came back and a young boy had, that had remained behind was standing there holding the watch. And they said, how did you find that? He said, I waited until everybody left and it got completely quiet. I laid down in the hay and I listened for the tick of the watch. And I just moved closer and closer until I found it. So many times we got so much noise in our lives, the electronic devices, the, the job, everything we got going on, and we never find a, a quiet time to hear God's voice, and then we wonder why we're not hearing his voice. It's because we are filling our minds and, and our lives with so much, and we're making choices to just stay so busy that we have no time to just meditate and hear from the Lord. The young man this young man lost his job, had nowhere to turn. He went to an older minister and went to his office and began to just go, go all out on how he had prayed and asked God to help him find this, to keep this job and how he had tried and tried and asked God for promotions and God never answered and he went on and on and finally the older minister said something but the, the young man couldn't hear it and he said, what would you say? The minister said it even quieter. The young man got closer and said, I, I still didn't hear you. What'd you say? And finally, he said it at just a small whisper. And he got close and he said, the minister said, God often talks in a whisper. Are you listening? He often does that to draw us near. You see, when you're talking out loud and you're make, doing all the talking, you could talk to a bunch of people, but, but you're not always going to hear. The point is, is that sometimes God whispers to us because he's trying to draw us close. He can speak in a big booming voice if he wants to, but he understands the principle that we often don't listen closely until we have to quiet ourselves to hear it. 
Perhaps there's a reason that we're made that way. Nothing draws human focus like a quiet whisper. God's whisper means I must stop my ranting and move close to him until my head is bent together with his. And then listen, and I will find my answer. Be still and know that I am God, he says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, Psalms 46.10. We need to hear the still, small voice of God. He's speaking to us today. To some, he's speaking of salvation. When he says, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he will answer. To others, he is speaking about your commitments. You are overcommitted. You're committing to the wrong things. To others, he's, he's saying, you're just too busy. You're too busy for me. Like Martha, when he says, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest in Mark 6.31. Some of us need to re-experience the presence of God. We have come into church with so much going on that, and we haven't been spending the time with him alone at, at, at home. And then we come in hoping he'll do something here, but we've already practiced being so busy that we get here, our minds are full, and we, and we don't get what's going on. I, I told my wife that there's sometimes I'm up here, I'm just about to come unglued. The, I can feel the presence of God, and the worship is intense. And, and this is, whether this was New Song or anywhere else, or whether it was Ken or another worship leader, the fact of the matter is the presence of God is there. And like I said, I don't often, I get lost and I don't often turn around. And then sometimes if I turn around, it's like, if I see people unplugged, I'm like, how, how are you missing this? He's here, I feel him, I know, I know it. It's not me. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word and Lord, for drawing our attention to God, the, the things in our life, Lord, that are causing us to lose our fight. God, some of us are just wearing ourselves out. There's no rest. There's busy schedules. God, we, we feel, then we get depressed, Lord, and we feel defeated. We lose our fight. God, we feel like we're the only ones serving because it seems like we've been abandoned and no one's around. God, like Elijah, we feel like we've had great victories, but then all of a sudden we're in a time where we're just hiding out. Help us, God, to get that fire back in our bellies, to have the fight back in us, to understand that this is a spiritual battle, that what's going on all around the world right now, Lord, there's never been a more intense battle than's going on right now. Those big, miraculous things we see in your word, God, it's not like that you're silent or that you've stopped working in the world, but God, those things, those great and mighty things you're doing in the world, they're, they're not reported widely, God, because this world as a whole is not seeking you. God, we as your church, we want to seek you. We want to find you. We want to have that fire burning in us. We want to go back to the mountain, Lord, where we first experience you and know that, God, that you are still there and that, that we have, may have made ourselves busy and we may have lost touch, but, God, you've always been there and that we want to, we want to have our fight back. I'm going to challenge you in the last few minutes we have that we just take a moment that right where you're at, that you just have a conversation with the Lord and that you let him speak, that you spend a little bit of that time just, just listening. And then when we leave from this place today, that you go home tonight and that you continue that, that you spend time just meditating, letting him have an opportunity that if he wants to speak to you, that he's going to speak. And I guarantee you he will. It'd be a matter of how long it takes you to begin to hear. 
Let's just spend a few moments. Jesus.